These coronavirus special reports are meant to reinforce the Atrium Health community and how we each give, the different ways we contribute, the challenges we face, the innovation we deliver. We are in this together and we will beat this virus together. Dr. Lipford and Dr. Longshore, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing with us all the wonderful work that's being done at Atrium Health and the labs and how we're uh, you know, providing a lot of resources to our teammates and to be able to fight this coronavirus. But before we get started, I want uh, the audience to know who you are. Dr. Lipford, would you first start off and tell us sort of how long you've been here and your role with, with Atrium? Uh, glad to, Saj. Thank you. Uh, my name is Ned Lipford. Um, I'm a pathologist. Uh, my area of specialization is hematopathology. Um, I came to what was then Charlotte Memorial Hospital uh, in 1986, uh, following uh, finishing my uh, residency and fellowship at Johns Hopkins and the National Cancer Institute, okay. uh, and have been very pleased to have been here ever since. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Lidford. And, and, and Dr. Longshore, how about yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how long you've been with us. Oh, absolutely. So I have uh, been with Carolina's Pathology Group for just under 20 years, uh, <laughs> serving as the Director of Molecular Pathology. And as the large focus of my role, I direct all of our clinical molecular pathology testing uh, in the Atrium Core Lab. Excellent. Excellent. Great. Well, you know, one of the things that I heard early on was we were very fortunate that when this uh, uh, pandemic was starting to have its influence here in North Carolina and South Carolina, Atrium was able to do some testing that others in our region did not have access to. What, can you tell us a little bit about that, either of you, and sort of what, what gave us that advantage? Yeah, let me anticipate. Uh, I'm going to let John answer this for the most part, but I just before he does that, um, I want to sing his praises a little bit by recognizing the fact that it was due to his foresight um, and the fact that he saw this coming when it was still confined to China um, and went to the length of, of obtaining the reagents that we would need to test, uh, that we were in the position that we were in now almost exactly four weeks ago when wow. testing became positive possible. So, John, go ahead and, and give people a little bit of background in terms of what you have done and, and our two existing and soon-to-be third uh, testing platform. No, we'd we'll be, we'll be happy to, and th thank you for those uh, kind words, Ned. Uh, it certainly is a, is a group effort of the Molecular Pathology Lab and, and across the whole lab to make this happen. Uh, we were able to uh, see this coming when there were a lot of uh, the COVID-19 infections in China, and it started emerging in other areas of the world. And we're fortunate enough to be able to uh, set up our initial assay for COVID-19 testing uh, in February. We ordered supplies in January and had the test set up in February. However, initially we were unable to perform local testing because at that time the guidance from the FDA and from the CDC was that testing for this emerging infection could only be performed in their facilities. Wow. So this, this actually changed on February 29th uh, when we received new guidance from the FDA that CLIA high-complexity laboratories, of which Atrium Health has one, would be able to perform their own local testing. And so we rapidly finished the validation of our initial test, which was based upon the uh, WHO COVID-19 test, and brought that clinically live on March the 9th. 
obviously our testing volume was relatively low at that time and uh, we were lucky um, shortly thereafter to be given access to the Roche high volume test that runs on our 8800 instrument and we brought that clinically live on March 17th. And then uh, as of today, we are launching our third COVID-19 test, which is a, a Luminex assay to be able to support some additional volume for clinical testing. So um, as of the end of the day, we will have uh, three different test methods available for uh, detecting COVID-19 uh, infections in the atrium patients, patients from the uh, Charlotte region, other atrium facilities, as well as our teammates. Oh, that's fantastic. So, um, you know, so stepwise increase in the different testing modalities or the different uh, uh, platforms, but uh, what is the advantage of that versus some of these other testing, commercially available testing options? Because I know the, the biggest advantage that I've heard of is the turnaround time. Right, absolutely. Yeah, we, and, and go ahead, Ned. Yeah, well, one of the things that we've, one of the benefits that we have had because our, you know, not every hospital and not even every hospital system has the benefit of having a dedicated, uh, highly uh, dedicated and very capable molecular laboratory in-house that's, that's a, able to set up tests like this. So because we have that luxury um, and have the expertise that, that John has brought us over the past almost 20 years, um, we have been able to set up an assay which can, we can turn around on a rapid basis. Um, our on-instrument assay time is actually uh, around four hours for our, for our higher volume test on the Roche 8800 uh, because of issues involved with specimen acquisition and transportation. Uh, we publish a turnaround time of 24 hours mm -hmm. um, and have been able to do that on, without, really without fail. And that is a, a real luxury compared to what other systems have been seeing when, when they have had to rely on tests from reference labs where the testing might be, I mean, the low point of testing might be three to five days, uh, but it might be on the range of seven to 10 days um, in, in other clinical settings. So we really have been in a, in a, in a good position so that patients have not, patients under investigation have not had to remain on that status for really more than 24 hours in our facilities. And that has significant impact because, you know, those patients that remain under investigation means we, as the healthcare workers, have to put on all the preventative measures, including utilization of PPEs and other uh, actions. And if you get the results back in one day versus seven to ten days, wow! How much how much savings are we doing because of, you know, the foresight that John, you, and and the the willingness to get on this early uh, led to us being able to implement. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, absolutely. And it it has been, uh, you know, obviously a journey that that um, I have not undertaken by myself. It is definitely a team effort uh, to keep this going 24/7 with the molecular pathology lab, uh, teammates that we have, not only from the molecular lab, but from multiple acute care labs that have pitched in to help us learn to do the molecular testing and other specialty areas in, in the core lab. And uh, not only have we had a dramatic uh, response from pathology, but from lab administration and, and overall atrium administration, uh, materials management has been amazing to constantly work on getting supplies for us to do testing, uh, working with the corporate command center uh, as well as the IS team. 
Um, you've probably heard a lot about the uh, testing effort globally and in the U.S., and one of the issues is that there's a constant uh, supply shortage for many right. of the things that we need. The reagent uh, the media, right? Yeah, reagents for the lab testing, the supplies for viral RNA isolation, right. plasticware, protective equipment, uh, the transport media and the collection swabs. Yep. And so it has really been a great team effort that has helped us get the uh, turnaround time uh, and the results back on the patients as quickly as we have. That's so true. I mean, it, it has taken truly multiple members of our organization working together to, to keep this sustained. Now, I'm going to take us back one step because not everyone is uh, remembers their microbiology or the testing modalities. And, and many of us, quite honestly, unless we were going into a specialty like you guys are, uh, wouldn't probably understand. The current testing is PCR testing. Is that correct? Yes. So would you give us a quick, uh, quick synopsis of what that means? Uh, you know, when you get that collection from the swab that is in the nose or throat and throat, you know, what, what exactly takes, what exactly are we doing so that we can identify an infection? No, sure. Uh, absolutely. So the workflow is, is uh, relatively simplistic uh, sounding, but it's a lot of steps involved, obviously. <laughs> sure. the, uh, the nasal or the oral swab is collected and uh, from the patient and placed into a viral transport media, which helps to uh, preserve the virus. Uh, this is very import important because coronaviruses are RNA viruses, so they tend to degrade very quickly. Uh -huh. um, after that, the uh, specimen comes to the lab and uh, we use a DNA or RNA isolation instrument where we are able to isolate the viral RNA from the sample. Uh, after that happens, we are able to amplify or detect specific sequences from the COVID-19 uh, or coronavirus genome to confirm or uh, actually say that a patient is not infected with the, with the COVID-19 uh, virus. Now, our different tests look at highly conserved regions from the uh, COVID-19 genome. Uh, depending on the test, they're looking at different conserved regions, but all of this is based upon uh, uh, PCR technology that, that we use on a, on a daily basis in the molecular pathology lab for doing viral loads, for doing oncology testing, and for doing uh, human genetic testing as well. So the techniques are fairly standardized, but the application for COVID has changed uh, slightly from what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh, that's that's uh, because you were, uh, again, creative in, in knowing that the technology is there, but to do it quickly, right? Have a... Uh, adaptation to it to make it work. Absolutely. Well, wonderful. So thank you for that explanation, that education for, for me as much as for the rest of the audience. Now, fantastic work to that point, to this point. Now, what about the next step? What about what I hear people conversing as antibody testing? Okay, when are we going to get to that? Because, you know, that allows us another way to get results quickly. Where are we with that? And, 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 I, and I did see that the FDA approved the first type of uh, uh, antibody testing, I guess, last week. I mean, what, what can you all share about that? Yeah, well, when you look at the side, when you look at the timeline of an infection, yeah. um, it's important for diagnosis to be able to detect the causative agent itself. 
Yes. Uh, and that's why it was very important for us to bring up the RNA PCR test as the first test that we wanted to do because we want to test people as early as possible during the acute phase of the infection. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the flip side of that is that um, the, the RNA PCR test is probably not the best test that we would want to use eventually for, let's say, population studies. Uh, because it's cleared by the body after infection, so you have no record uh, of a person having been infected. But what happens in, in an infected person is that early in the infection, maybe within the first week, their bodies will begin to make an antibody of the IgM class, um, and that would be followed um, several weeks later uh, by an antibody in, of the IgG class. The IgM antibodies are not generally not long-lasting, but the IgG antibodies may be long-lasting. For some infections, they may be lifelong. We really don't know the natural history of, of COVID antibody response and, and, and immunity. Um, so we are now interested in getting uh, an, a, a serologic test for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that it would be very helpful to be able to eventually to do some population studies to figure out exactly how prevalent uh, the infection has been in our population as a whole, uh, especially since a significant portion of individuals seem to be asymptomatic um, during the acute infection. And the other reason that we might want to do this testing would be to look for immune teammates um, who would be eligible to form the, the treating teams of patients with COVID infections and would presumably be uh, asymptomatic. Uh, sorry, be immune and, and not be liable to be uh, infected uh, because they're treating patients. Um, the third reason that we are interested in having a test is that there is, there is interest in using the plasma of patients who have been infected and are now over the infection, uh, what's called convalescent plasma, uh, as a potential aid to treating patients uh, who are seriously ill with COVID infection. That's been used previously with um, the SARS-CoV-1 uh, uh, virus several years ago, as well as with Ebola um, and MERS um, respiratory virus infection of several years ago also. Um, we will really need to know who's currently got a, a reasonable virus titer, even though we don't know what a, what a presumably uh, preventative virus titer is at this point uh, in order to use use that from an optimal standpoint. So that's a I'm sorry that's such a long answer, but it's sort of the difference between who do you want to diagnose? Do you want to diagnose the people who are infected right now or the people who have ever been infected? And that, so they're very different targets for those two different types of tests. Well, I, I think you explained that extremely well, Dr. Lipford. I mean, because this, this antibody testing is a response of the body, and so it just sort of declares some level of immunity that you're demonstrating, but it doesn't really tell you the, the causative agent, as you said, with the PCR testing, which is a new or an ongoing infection because you're actually measuring viral particles. So that was, I mean, exceptionally said. And I guess the other advantage of something like this might be if you've got antibodies available, um, you know, could we apply it to a subset of symptomatic patients as a rapid test, right? And, and and versus the asymptomatic population to see if they've got COVID as part of their issue. Now, I don't know. I mean, I think this is all uh, exceptionally interesting work. 
Um, so can you can you elaborate a little more on how far along we are with the convalescent plasma uh, type of work? Um, you know, looking to see if we can. How far along are we with that? Yeah. Well, the the FDA approved test that was announced last week is actually a card based visual test, very much like some of the rapid tests that are used, say, for rapid strep testing, uh -huh. um, e even like a, a rapid pregnancy test. Basically, it's a chromatographic test where you look for a line to develop on a card after it incubates for 15 to 20 minutes. So in an, in an individual patient, that might have some utility, but if you're trying to screen numbers of patients, um, having to handle large numbers of individual cards, each of which have to be separately inoculated manually and separately incubated for 15 to 20 minutes becomes a very laborious process and one that's prone to error uh, because of mixing up the cards and, and other things that can go wrong with a manual test. Um, the, the testing that we are trying to bring on board is testing that can be put on some of our automated instrumentation at the core laboratory. Uh, and we are early in evaluation, but close to being able to pick either one or two. Um, as, in the, as is the case with the RNA test, one of our strategies has been to develop multiple different platforms as a hedge to um, reagent and other uh, problems with availability of, of testing supplies. And we understand from some of our contacts in the industry that the antibody tests are prone to the same reagent supplies. So we're thinking about having maybe one or, or oh, sorry, two separate platforms in order to hedge against a, a reagent and a supply problem. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, uh, Dr. Longshore, anything to, to add to that? No, I, I believe, uh, you know, Ned captured uh, my thoughts on that very well. Just remember that the testing that we are currently doing now is what is important for diagnosing patients. Right. And the, the serologic assays are going to be very important for actually uh, monitoring patients' immune response and, and other activities that, that Ned detailed. So really they are not interchangeable, but looking at two different phases of the COVID-19 infection. Thank you. Agreed. All right. Well, let me take you to the third point, and then we'll get to some fun questions. You guys probably think this is fun already anyway. <laughs> uh, no, the third is how about now flipping from there to vaccine development? And, uh, you know, uh, first of all, how do vaccines work compared to what you just described, both in the current testing PCR modality versus the antibody testing? And then how long will it take to actually have a solution with a vaccine? Toss up to either of you. Yeah. Well, I, I have no idea, so I hope John has an answer to that one. I, I was going to uh, defer to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lifford, to answer on that. Uh, but no. but where, where my... these tests can be developed relatively quick, quickly, vaccines take um, many, many months or, or years to develop, uh, and it's a much more laborious process to uh, develop a, a, a functional and effective vaccine for an emerging infection. Uh, great. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, I agree in the sense that I actually don't know how all the details of that vaccine works. I'm not in that field. But what I do know is just what you said. You know, it, it, the, the sequencing needs to be there, the, the whole point of the body needing to make its own response and then to kind of demonstrate that whatever it's, it is, 
will actually fight the real virus if you put it back out into uh, the public. So, you know, lots of testing will go into that. And, and that's where I think they comment on the fact that vaccine development will take, even in a best case scenario, a year or so, right? Uh, yeah, and I think that one one important thing to remember is that we there we do not have a good track record of developing vaccines for coronaviruses. Ah, so, um, okay. I did not know that. You know, and even... Even the vaccine to the seasonal flu, uh, uh -huh. it, it it certainly can be very helpful. But in some years, and I think this this was one of those years, uh, it was probably only about John. Correct me if I'm wrong. In the 40% range uh, of of being of targeting the the flu strains that were actually out there. Yeah, that, that's correct. Wow. Yeah. Well, so let's take our time with that. Let's not count on the vaccine to be the end all, save all until it's done right. 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 Yeah. Our, so now I, I want to just finish off with a couple of uh, fun questions. Um, and you guys have been on the front lines, both uh, proactively getting solutions out there for us to use, the, basically the tools to help fight this war, as I refer to it. Um, how do you see the morale of your teammates and other members uh, or colleagues that you're working with, knowing that this is a, an ongoing battle? Uh, Ned, would you like to start with that and then I'll follow up? Yeah. Um, you I think people are moving from sort of the, the, the for lack of a better word, the acute phase uh, of dealing with this to, <laughs> yeah. to sort of um, yeah, not so much a siege mentality, but something very approximate, approximating that. Uh, but everybody, I think, has, has really taken the point of view that we are, we have to be in this together and working with each other and really careful about everyone's safety. Um, that it's been, uh, when I witnessed the teammates here, I mean, I'm at Carolina's Medical Center much of the time, and the teammates on this campus are simply remarkably courteous to each other. Um, people want to be sure that they are maintaining social distancing rules scrupulously, um, and uh, I think there's been a tremendous response, uh, at, at least in this environment. And uh, I, I will comment on, on the uh, morale at, at the core lab. I think everyone here is highly engaged. This is the real real deal of connect to purpose. This is why we exist <laughs> yeah. to uh, you know help support the system with emerging infections. And um, everyone is highly committed to this work. I think one of the big challenges for us uh, now, as Ned said, we're going into the siege mentality, is we have had to split the laboratory staff uh, that are actually uh, performing the uh, COVID testing on the instrument into multiple teams that do not overlap with each other because we're, we've, we've had to make contingency plans. What if during one of our processes, virus is accidentally aspirated and infects everyone that's currently performing testing, even though we are wearing PPE and such as that, we have to make contingency plans. So we have completely non-overlapping staff plans to perform COVID testing so if we uh, have one team that gets sick with the infection, we have another team that can step in uh, to fill the gap. And we've had a lot of teammates from other acute care labs in the system at our outlying hospitals who have volunteered to come in, have been trained to perform the testing as well. So rather than this being an initial sprint at the beginning, now we are getting into kind of the marathon phase and realizing we have to keep a steady cadence to be able to perform this testing over a long period of time. Have you listened to my podcast? Because I have referred to it exactly as that. 
that it is a marathon and you know we got to be careful to pace ourselves and you use that analogy beautifully uh, that thank you um, and we've got and your 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 redundancy or the mechanism to kind of make sure teammates are safe uh, that's that's wonderful wonderful all right last question then what advice would you give our listeners during this marathon that we're in Well, I think the most important advice is is really to maintain social distancing. Um, as difficult as it may be and as difficult as it may become as we go on to stay safe and stay as much as possible uh, in your homes, uh, that that is the, the safest thing to do. Um, you know, I think one of the more difficult things uh, for me personally is you know, my my son is and uh, is here in town, and I would love to have contact with him, but I recognize that that is dangerous on both sides, and so uh, that that I think is the thing that we've all got to keep in mind that we've all got a responsibility uh, to keep not only ourselves but everybody else safe uh, throughout this um, uh, until we can either come out on the other side, either because number one, the virus is seasonal and the warming of the weather will help us or we are able to enact and and put in place um, societal methods of controlling the virus that's great advice and john yeah i absolutely agree with everything that that ned said i, I think that it is uh, very important for us to you know follow follow the policy guidelines both that that our own facilities uh, have for protecting employees and protecting our families. And just to remind everyone uh, the importance of, you know, effectively using our, our PPE when we are uh, at work. Uh, there's a reason we wear that is to protect us, protect our teammates, and protect our families. And this is something that we cannot get through uh, individually, but have to have a team and a group effort to make it through this. And uh, it's really important to, to remember in healthcare that uh, um, and these are the moments in life that remind us why why we do this. Taking care of people is is why we are involved in medicine and healthcare. Well, how wonderfully said from both of you. Well, I really again thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for being innovative and creative and forward thinking. Thank you for the advice that you have uh, shared with others. And I do feel that our teammates and our community are listening. Uh, and, and hopefully they will continue to listen um, because it is a marathon. So Dr. John Longshore, Dr. Ned Lipford, thank you so much for sharing this with our audience today. Thank you so much. You, My pleasure. These discussions reveal our passion, our commitment, and our culture. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay Atrium Health Proud. <laughs>